So thank you so much for joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast. I'm your host, Asia. And today we have Dana Studman on here with us. How are you doing, Dana? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and busy Absolutely. schedule. Um, so without further ado, whereabouts are you from? I am about 90 miles southwest of Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Born and raised there? Uh, born and raised in Chicago. Yeah, I, I moved out of the city to get some peace out here in the boonies with nothing and nobody around us. <laughs> yeah. So um, so let's go back to your childhood. What was that like growing up? Uh, not not exactly pleasant. Um, I was a teenage pregnancy. Mom definitely did not want me. I'm not even sure she wanted children, to be honest, because she had her tubes tied immediately after I was born, um, right after delivering me um, at 17 years old. And doctors did it that back then. So um, grandma and great grandma would not allow her to adopt me out insisted that, you know, they would uh, help with raising me. And they were both very loving and wonderful. My grandma's still with us and has basically taken the mother role. But my mother was always very detached and emotionally distant from me, married a narcissist who uh, was very clear every single day of my childhood up to 18 years, well, even to this day, that I was a burden. Nobody would love me. Nobody wanted me. He shouldn't have to pay for another man's child, all these other things that he would voice to me, even at that young age. Um, so needless to say, grew up feeling very um, invalidated, unworthy, undeserving, and just very low self-esteem. But but I was very strong-willed. I've always had a little fire inside of me. So, you know, I, I would... Uh, demand respect. I would set boundaries back then, um, stand up for myself. I stood up for my mother because she always tended to look the other way. Um, then she was, I, I didn't know the words for it then, but she was gaslighting me. She was basically trying to force me to submit to her husband, you know, and go along with what I called their stories. Um, cause there was always some narrative they were trying to put out in the world that was different from, whatever was going on behind closed doors. Don't tell anyone this, say this. If somebody asks you that, um, that's a lot of pressure on a little kid to have to deal with all this stuff. Um, so by the time I was a teenager, I just pretty much decided I'm out as soon as I'm 18 and I can get out, I'm getting the heck out of there. Um, and I did, and then ended up falling for a covert narcissist and spending 25 years with him. And here I am. <laughs> right. So. So let me ask you this, um, like growing up and, and um, you know, having all that verbal abuse, was the only form of, of abuse verbally? No, unfortunately not. Um, it, it, there was a lot of physical as well. I, thank goodness I, I never had to experience sexual abuse, but the physical was absolutely there. Um, it, there it, it started very small with just grabbing the arm, grabbing an ankle if I tried to crawl away. Um, and it led up into, you know, it, it's like they try to further their bounds. It led into like grabbing the back of my hair and banging my head against the wall. I tried to call for help once. Um, and he grabbed the phone out of my hand and banged me repeatedly over the head with the phone. Um, 
busting into my bedroom because that was the only safe place for me was locking myself in my room. He would bust in there and and anything. I, I was straddled on the ground, slapped, punched. Um, I mean, you name it. I was taken by my ankles and and drug out of bed for no good reason. I think that time I left some shoes at the front door. Um, you know, the things that are, there were very unreasonable reactions to reasonable situations. Um, so there was a lot of that, but unfortunately, um, and some may disagree, but I could withstand the physical. It didn't affect me so much as the emotional and the physical, the inner physical effects of the verbal abuse. Cause that's just, that damages your soul. It damages your spirit and your whole self-image, the bruises, the hand marks. I could get over those, the pain I could get over, but um, the rest of it has stayed with me for my whole life. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, Thank you. Now, let me ask you this. Did you have anybody that would intercept or did, or did anyone like outside of the home know what was going on? No, because, you know, when you're in an abusive situation, typically you you're silenced in some way, either they have basically threatened you not to say anything, which in my case, I was told not to ever say anything to anybody and, or they discredit you so that, you know, to other people, whether you're aware of it or not, so that by the time you get to somebody that you feel you can trust and that's safe to talk to, this person thinks you're mentally unstable, you're crazy, you know, delusional, whatever it is. So there was already um, a narrative that I was aware of within all of our, you know, both sides of the family that I was, you know, they started saying I was really sensitive. I was emotional. I was very reactive. You know, then it turned into the, oh, she has mental problems. Um, you know, she's bipolar. She's depressed. She's suicide. You know, all these things that I wasn't. Um, but everybody kind of treated me like, oh, you know, that's your problem, daughter. Poor you that you have to deal with a daughter like that and have the burden of that. You know, so I carried the shame. I did, however, I my great grandma was just, she was everything to me. She is probably the only person I've ever actually 100% trusted in my entire life um, to this day. Um, I had gone to her a few times, um, but unfortunately, you know, she just kept telling me that's your mother's husband. You have to respect your mother. You have to respect him. The whole respect your elders thing. Don't say anything. It's just going to get you into more trouble. Just keep your mouth shut so you don't get into more trouble. Um, and I know she meant well. I mean, she <laughs> she was just an old lady from Puerto Rico. She didn't, you know, have the ability or any education to be able to counsel somebody that was being abused and traumatized. And I loved her that for just the sake, knowing that she loved me and cared for me just had to be enough. But unfortunately, she couldn't give me any direction or guidance that was practical. And unfortunately, with childhood abuse, you have no way out. It's not like when you're an adult that you have a choice and that you can take a risk to escape the situation. You have no way out. You have no way out. Um, when I was, was I 15 or 16 and I did 
uh, unwillingly. It was a situation, but um, the authorities finally were involved, got the police department, child and family services. Um, it was like a scene in the movie Annie. I felt like the orphan Annie where the imposters came in and, you know, they had their sad tears. There was my mother and my stepfather talking about how I'm just such a difficult child and, you know, they don't know what to do with me. And they're so sad. There were tears and all this. And, and it was all a farce. Um, and unfortunately, I was sent right back into, into that home. And this was the day after I had been strangled and thrown downstairs. So, you know, there's just no recourse when you're a child. So I, I my heart goes out to any child that suffers in any way because there just is no way out unless another adult sees it. And And even then, you know, what can another adult do if they're not your legal guardian? Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Um, how did that make you feel growing up? Like, um, no, let me back up. First of all, sure. how, when you said that the authorities had gotten involved, what caused that to take place? So <laughs> this is really, uh, again, unreasonable things that happen. Uh, I was just feeling so distraught um, because of how I was being treated at home. Some, most of the time I could tolerate it. And sometimes it just was so built up. You know, I'm a teenage girl. I've got hormones, school drama, all this stuff, boy drama. I just wanted my mommy. You know, I wanted a mom. I just wanted anybody who was going to be like, it's okay. I've got you. You know, it'll, you'll get through it. Anything. I didn't have anybody. And I just was sitting in my room and, and just it was stewing. And honestly, I got up and walked into my mother and uh, stepfather's bedroom. It, it was in the evening and, they were watching TV, laying in bed. And I, I just said, why the F don't you care about me? And that, that was it. They both jumped out of bed and, and just started slapping me and beating on me. And, and there was a big struggle. And, and my mother, it was actually my mother this time, surprisingly, not my stepfather, who was usually the one who put his hands on me, but it was my uh, mother that put her hands around my neck and and just started strangling me. Um, and I could not breathe. I, I blacked out. I mean, I thought she was going to kill me right there in that moment. And the only thing that was free on my body were my legs. And so I kicked her in the stomach. Um, she, I, I don't even remember, but she had just had some kind of procedure, medical procedure um, on her stomach. And I know it was it was gynecologic, you know, I, I don't know what it was. I don't remember, but something was going on there that she was recovering from. So, you know, it was painful enough when I kicked her in the stomach that she released her hands from my neck. Um, but that's when she threw me down a half flat. I landed halfway down the stairs and I just ran out the door. I ran away. I, I didn't know where to go. And fortunately, I was picked up. I, I had a school uh, friend that happened to see me just on a side street, you know, a mile or so away, just crying. And 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 she took me to a friend's house and went to school the next day. And um, the police were actually looking for me because my mother and stepfather apparently called. They waited till morning, by the way, just to put that little fact out. They weren't concerned about me being out on the street at night, had no idea where I was. Um, but they waited till morning to call the authorities. So the police came looking for me at school. 
Um, and I told them what happened. And so they had the responsibility of calling child and family services. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't leave it any, anywhere because the neighbors, their coworkers, everybody, family members, oh, no, they're great people. They're great people. They're very generous. They'll help anyone anytime. They're good parents. She's just difficult. So, you know, again, they they already put that narrative out there and I had no way to defend myself. And I didn't. I, I, I remember sitting in the police station with my head down, completely silent, because what am I going to say? What am I going to say that's going to change it? Yeah. Now, when they took you back home, um, did it get worse due to all the everything that happened? You know, I I can't say it did because the thing about a, a lot of abusive situations, it's, you know, this was obviously a big moment, but it was almost the norm. So nothing really changed. I, it, I think they just hated me more because I had expressed to anybody outside the home that, um you know, what was really going on. And so... At that point, I only had, what, two years before I could get out. So it was just, again, just, you know, kind of flying under the radar, trying to keep my note. I mean, I, I I was honestly a good kid, never drank, never smoked, never got involved with the wrong. I, I pretty much just kept to myself and my couple of friends. You know, I got good grades without much effort. I I, I really didn't cause any problems other than I would stand up for myself against them. What, um, have you ever asked, well, what age was it when they got married? I was seven years old. Um, I remember it very clearly, but he had been dating my mother since I was roughly a year old. Um, he was actually married to somebody else at that time. Um, according to what I've heard, my mother had no idea that he was married, um, he wasn't separated. He wasn't getting a divorce. He was supposedly very happily married, or at least his uh, former wife thought so. Um, while he carried on with my mother for a year, it was a year later that she found out he was married. And she said she told him, you know, to get lost until he had divorce papers. So he did divorce um, his former wife kept the house that her grandparents had gifted them in their marriage. And um, then, you know, real quickly after that moved my mother and me into that house. So that was about when things started uh, going pretty bad for me. Cause prior to that, I pretty much just lived with my great grandma. Now, um, like, so you didn't live with mom at all, like prior to that? No, mom, she had apartments here and there. But again, she I was born on her 17th birthday. So she was working three jobs, just trying to make any ends meet. Back then, you know, she was not allowed to live in the house with her mother and father. When they found out she was pregnant, she was, she, I felt, I feel bad. But, you know, you were shamed back then for you know, doing such a thing. So she was kicked out of her house and had to figure out how to make it on her own real fast, real young. Um, so no, great grandma took care of me. That had been the deal. I'm told my, my grandma is still with us and, and she still reminds me 
she made the deal that she would go get a job to pay for me and my great grandma would watch me. So I stayed in my great grandma's apartment. That's where I had a bed and everything. Um, I did see my mother now and then, but I don't think in my mind I equated that she was my mother because it was my great grandma that was feeding me, rocking me, clothing me. You know, she she did everything and, and she loved me. Um, when I saw my mother, like I said, there was always this detached. I mean, for all I know, she could have been just some cousin who came by once in a while. You know, family kind of came in and out. Um, but we didn't really, I don't feel that we ever really had any kind of a close relationship. Once in a while, she would take me back to wherever she was living. She had lived with another uh, <laughs> another married man when I was very young as well. Um, so I remember he wasn't the nicest to me either, nor were his children. And, you know, so once in a while I would go wherever she went. But again, I didn't think anything of it as far as a mother-daughter situation. It was just like, oh, I'm going to stay with this family member. We're having a sleepover. Um, but great grandma was my mother for all purposes and, and in my heart. Had you ever um, had any type of relationship with your uh, maternal father? Um, my maternal, my grandfather, you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. You're, That's you're okay. Like your dad's side of the my family. actual oh. biological father. Yeah. Okay. So I met him when I was 16. Um, I think after all that other commotion, I just thought I needed to find him. Um, it turns out he lived only three miles away and he was very excited, um, that we found each other. Um, we talked, we got along perfectly. I had been told and grandma and great grandma, you know, did confirm this, that he had been coming around when I was born up until I was about a year old. I just didn't remember him. But my mother didn't like that because I guess she was sore that he didn't, you know, drop everything and marry her because they conceived a child together. Um, he was a year and a half younger than her, however. Um, so he had been 15 at the time that I was conceived. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a scary thing for anybody at that age. But unfortunately, he had the ability to, you know, walk away. But he didn't. And that's the thing, but she still wanted to punish him. So when I was 16, I did meet him, um, hit it off. It, it's like it, I finally made sense to myself. Cause I felt like I did, I guess like adopted kids feel like you don't know where you come from. It doesn't make sense. I'm not like my mother. Like we just, but he and I, it's like, we could finish each other's sentences. We thought the same, like you really wonder about genetics when you think, wow, like I, you didn't even raise me, but like, I am so your kid. <laughs> so it was a beautiful thing, but unfortunately, um, Mom started saying that to her husband that when my biological father would call the house that, oh, he would flirt with her and he still wanted to have sex with her and all this. It was just ridiculous. So it started to become a strain on me when he would call because I was it was the looks, it was the comments. So it was easier for me living in that house to not have a relationship with my biological father. So I just had to basically cut off connection with him and hoped he understood that I just had to do what I had to do. And fortunately, we, you know, in my adulthood, we um, 
have reconnected and, you know, he's still amazing. And, and I don't harbor any resentment towards him. I mean, they were young stuff happens, but, um, you know, he's unfortunately more of a father to me than my mother was ever a mother to me. And, and, and it's sad. Yeah. Had you, um, let him know what was going on, like when he would call him and stuff like that? I tried to hint at it. I mean, I think that I've talked to other people who are abused as children. I think we all have this fantasy that somebody, anybody, but in this case, absolutely. I just kind of dropped little comments or hints, hoping that he was just going to bust through the door and bust me out of there, you know, like save me from this. And then I could go live this happy life with him and, and everything would be okay. Um, but that didn't happen. I mean, he, you know, it wasn't his place and I understand that, but, um, it was still disappointing because you have all this hope. Like you think this is the one person he, I finally found him. He can get me out of here. You know, we can prove he's my father through, you know, a blood test and he can take me and this will all be over. But, um, the fantasy in my head didn't come true. So, um, I was, I was stuck there for a couple more years, but, you know, like I said, we, you know, it happened. We're good now. And, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, people say that's your blood, that's your family. Well, we're all still people and not everybody wants to be a mother or wants to be a father to certain children. And, and you know, that's just something I've had to accept, you know, in my 40s, finally, that, you know, yeah, my mother and, and her husband did have a son. I love my brother, but he got the parents that I wish I would have had. And I'm not jealous or envious of it. I'm glad he didn't go through what I did. But I am sorry for other people who have had the situation of watching your siblings, you know, get a completely different childhood that you wish you would have had because you would have been, you would have felt more whole at a younger age and gone into adulthood as secure, confident, you know, you know, people, you know, that could be, you know, just not have to go through the emotional turmoil of, of the healing and everything else that's involved when you start to really try to handle your situation. Absolutely. So is this a, your, your brother, is this a child that they had together? Yeah. Yeah. I, it was uh, something that my stepfather was insistent about because of the very open, you know, commentary about how I was not his, he wanted his child, he wanted his own child. And as a matter of fact, because my mother's tubes had been tied right after I was born, she went through a terrible uh, ordeal. I mean, it was years, I remember, of going through trying to reverse the tubal ligation and then all the miscarriages. I mean, I want to say she probably had 15 or 16 miscarriages before being able to carry my brother full term. So you can imagine in the midst of all this dealing with, you know, her hormones causing shifts in her behaviors and personalities on top of the gaslighting she was putting on me and the abuse from her husband and all the other crap that was going on in this house. It, it was so chaotic and it was too much for, I was a little girl. I was a little girl. And, you know, I get that they wanted to have their own child. It happens. But when she did finally become, you know, pregnant and they realized this one would actually be carried full term, um, that's when it got, it, it, the stepfather started in on me that I was not part of their family. Now they had their own family. 
him and my mom and this baby they were having, but I was not part of that. I would never would be. Don't you ever talk to this baby about anything that happened. You're not part, you know, it, it was, the, it was like I was being removed. I was there for show for family situations, holidays, going to school events. We looked like a happy family, but I was not part of that family. They weren't even, and, and my mother never said a word, never said a word. I wondered if he was abusing her too, but I'll never know. There were a lot did of secrets. That, did that make you angry towards your mother? Yeah, I resent her. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I realize now looking back and going, going through, you know, I did writing therapy myself. That was the most effective, but, you know, I stood up for her even against him. I stood up for her. I took it for her. And, um, but she never, it's like, I realized somewhere around the age of 10, 11, 12 years old, I realized she wasn't even trying to help herself. She wanted her situation. And, you know, in my adulthood, I tried to have those conversations with her because I just, I wanted to know why, or what was, what was it about me? Or, you know, do you want, it turned into, do you want to be my mother? And she would openly tell me that, um, she liked her life with him and basically, She'd just say like whatever she had to do to keep that life and keep her, you know, that that's what she wanted. And that was her husband. And, and, um, you know, in the, in the very end, before we went no contact, because we have no contact at this point. Um, and, and I am not interested in pursuing that ever again, honestly, but, you know, I, I begged her, I said, you know, let's just take him out of the equation. I just want a mother, even if we don't have the best relationship, I just want my mother, but, you know, she basically just said, no, she cannot be married to him and be my mother. And she was choosing to be married to him and have that life. Um, she just said, what do you want me to do? Divorce him? I said, no, live your life. Just be my mother. Defend me once in a while. Just even just be there for me. Ask me how I am once in a while. I mean, it, the last year we really spoke was, was it 2019. 2020, maybe in 2019, but once in that entire year, one time she asked me how I am. And I was going through a lot of medical uh, problems, you know, that went so far as Mayo Clinic. Um, and I was diagnosed with, you know, a lung disease and autoimmunity. One time she asked me how I was. So you just have to kind of come to terms with people have a choice in who they want to be in your life. And even if you come out of somebody, even if somebody's your family, your mother, unfortunately, sometimes they sometimes don't want to be your mother. She wants to be my brother's mother, just not mine. And, and that's a harsh thing to really have to swallow. But I think once you accept the truth in your life, whether you like it or not, that's when you can start dealing with it. Because as long as you live with the hope that things will change I don't think you can move forward to healing yourself because you're still living on that hope and we all have it and we've all been there in whatever our situation was. But once I put that aside and just said, okay, this, this woman doesn't, she's, she doesn't want to be my mother. So I just have to accept that. Then I had to accept that. Okay. Now this is something I have to heal from going forward. And I can't do that if I'm chasing after somebody that doesn't want me. 
Yeah, it's just gonna be. It's just gonna. It's gonna keep like rehurting all over again. It's gonna exactly every time you chase after her or after a person, like it's it's just gonna keep scarring you. Um, it's just like pulling a, a scab off of the same scar. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it really I, is. That's exactly what it's like. Is to keep picking a scab, and once you leave it alone, your skin heals. You might have a scar. It's not perfect, but yeah. you get better. You do. You do. Yep, you sure do. And you know what? It's sometimes really hard to accept the things that we don't want to accept. Um, yes. and, and not to say that it won't hurt because that's some pretty hurtful stuff, you know. Um, but it's just like in order, like you said, to heal from it, to move on, you have to like come to terms with it and accept it. And it's like, okay, because you honestly, you can't force anybody to do anything, right? Exactly. So in order for us to heal individually, we have to accept the things that we cannot change and move on from that. Okay. So now that I know that this is not going to change, how do I live my life so that it's not based around this, you know, so that I am exactly able to be a fully functional and healed adult, you know? Um, so that it's not repeating itself in my life. Exactly. It's like making an adjustment. You know, I, I mean, you're just adjusting things to a new idea or thought, um, but it's that truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the hardest thing that people um, have to deal with, with any kind of abuse or trauma, even just a bad relationship or a breakup is acknowledging the actual truth because the truth can be really, really harsh. Sometimes we don't want to accept it. Sometimes we'd rather stay. And, and I'm saying this honestly, because I was that person, we'd rather stay in that victim mentality and cry and poor me. And she doesn't want me and she doesn't love me. But once I stepped aside from that and said, okay, like I had to kind of give myself a pep talk, Dana, she, she don't want you like, let's just be real. <laughs> she's never even tried. Like, let's just be honest. But it was actually, um, I have a friend who's a priest and he's from Africa. He's an amazing, very wise individual. And he just looked at me and said, open your eyes. You're so focused on this woman that you're just, it's all negative. You feel negativity, you get negative open your eyes to what's positive. Your grandmother, she loves you like you're her own daughter. She would give her life for you. You have a beautiful, healthy son. Your husband loves you. You have a beautiful life. You, you know, open your eyes, focus on that and move forward into that life. He didn't tell me to let it go because that's a hurtful thing to say to somebody that has stuff to deal with. He didn't tell me to get over it and all this other stuff. He just again, it's that shift. And once I started shifting from, oh, we, we, my mother doesn't love me. She doesn't want me to, oh, there are people in my life. Like my own grandma is trying to be my mother. Cause I think she's trying to make up for her daughter's failings, you know, and I, I and there are other women I have met, um, that have taken a motherly role in my life and they're not related and they're not obligated and they love me just fine how I am. And, you know, so I started to focus on that and, and that helped me find the help I needed so that I could feel good about moving forward in my life versus where I was before in this victim mentality, 
thinking nobody's ever going to love me. My husband probably doesn't even love me. My kid probably hates me. I'll never feel love in my life. Why am I here? Why did she, you know, all these things. And I am by no means mimicking or or making fun of anybody because believe me, even a year ago, I, I just, last year I went through probably the most transformative healing process of my entire 47 and a half years of existence. And it was grueling and awful. And I know I, I cried at the drop of a dime. I, 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 I couldn't keep it together. I was dealing with so much heartache and so much pain because when you are confronting it and finally facing it, you're doing it willingly. And that's, that's a hard place to step into because when it's happening to you, when people are abusing you, try whatever you're going through, I mean, you usually perceive the danger, so to speak, but you have no control over it. It's just coming at you whether you like it or not. Whereas when you're out of the situation and decide to get whatever help you're getting and go through the healing process, you are like, I'm jumping into the flames. Like I am diving off the deep end and and going into that deep water and there's sharks in there and there's nasty things. And it, it might kill me all over again to think about it and talk about it and, and feel it in my body. And, but gosh, you come out when, when you come out of it, it it's, it's like you shed a skin, you know, kind of like snakes shed their skin. You, you just come out feeling so much better, but it's still a very, very grueling process. Yeah. You, you have to be ready for it. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, it takes some courage to turn around and face the things that you like made it through. Um, because a lot of times, like when we go through hard times and we make it through, like, you know, like you said, you were a child, so you didn't have to, you didn't have a choice. And I understand that because I went through some abuse in my childhood and so many days I was like, um, I can't wait to get grown, you know, so I don't have to deal with that. And now that I am grown, it's like, I'm not dealing with that, you know, because I exactly. dealt with it in my past. Um, but once you transition out of that and then to turn around and deal with the things that you went through that you, you know, cause once you, as you're going through, you just want to get out. Right. Yeah. So once you finally <laughs> make it out, you're like, I, you know, I don't want to think about that. But then as you transition into wanting to be healed, you know, because you kind of had a, a space of I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yes. You know, because when it comes to the abuse, it doesn't just like stay there. It bleeds into other areas of your life. until like, you don't know you don't realize how traumatized you are from, you know, those things. And so to turn around and and face the things from the past like that, it takes some courage, you know, so I'd I'd tip my hat to you. Um, Well, thank you. But it's exactly what you said earlier is that people have to make a choice to do it. You know, for so many years, like I said, I'm going to be 48 this year. And I, I can just say like this last Christmas season was the first one I got through without crying and being, I mean, I used to dread that whole trifecta of holidays, the October, November, December, because it was like all the holidays. I wasn't invited. I was, you know, feeling lonely, feeling alone, the whole, why am I here? What, you know, all this stuff is just the holidays were horrible, but you have to make a choice. I wasn't ready before for whatever reasons, nobody can force you just like in my previous marriage, 25 years with this man, I couldn't change his addiction to alcohol. 
I, I thought our son would be a reason. I read him Christian books out loud because he didn't like to read thinking something, somebody, you know, something he hears will make him just want to give up the alcohol and treat us better. And, you know, anything, you know, even with my mother appealing to her just simply by saying, but I'm your daughter, I came out of you. Everything in life is a choice, including the healing. You are not, I think what was hard for me and I, I have a feeling a lot of people think this, you think that you're just going to wake up one day and like a magic wand, you know, came over you the night before. And like, you're going to be like, I'm healed. I'm saved. I, everything's okay now, you know, and it's, it's not that fun. way. And it's not a fun pleasant thing to go through. And I will never give anyone the idea it is you're not going to go to a counselor and, you know, be happy walking out of there. You're going to ruminate about things that you Mm -hmm. hate to say. There are things I even forgot until something triggered the memory. And and then I think about it for days and be up at night and not sleep and crying. And, you know, like you said, it affects other areas. You get irritable, you get depressed, then, you know, you're at work and act in a certain way or in friendships, relationships act in a certain way. And it's all because your mama didn't love you or something. And it sounds so silly, but for real, that's like (laughs) how life is until you decide that, you know, just like people say, oh, you're, you're so healthy. You're so thin. How do you do it? I don't know. Instead of eating a, a Big Mac, I go eat, you know, a piece of fish with brown rice. It's just a choice, you know, and you have to make the choice and you have to be ready for it. And once you do that, then you can begin healing, but you can't heal if you're not a hundred percent, just like marriage counseling, any other kind of counseling. If if you're not really feeling it, it's not going to be effective at all. You have to want to do it. And and even what, because healing is, I'm telling you, it is a vicious process to go through and when I say like when I say vicious I mean it's some days when you like because revisiting those moments I think sometimes they can hurt worse than the first time when they happen you know yes like you said like on my on my healing journey there have been so many things that I have forgotten about but God has brought them back to my memory you know in order to purge me of that hurt um but like you said it has to be an intentional conscious yes. decision to, to where it's like, I'm not going back to that lifestyle. I like the heal version of me better. You know, even if I have one rough day, you know, or a rough week or whatever it may be, I'm still not going to resort back to that hurt wounded place, you know? Exactly. And, um, it's, it's, it's tough. Healing is not for, it's, it's not for play. It's, it's not a game, you know? No, it's not. And, it, and as I was saying earlier too, just a minute ago, it, it's not just you going through it. If you are in any kind of romantic relationship or have children at home, have a roommate, have anybody that you work with, everybody in your life is going to be going through it with you. It, it's not something you just go and have an appointment, you know, twice a week with somebody and walk out and like, everything's just normal. It, you're gonna feel it emotionally, physically, every which way. And it does seep into your other relationships. So people have to be, you know, aware of it. I mean, I'm not saying go to work and like put out a memo, like, like I'm healing people, like watch (laughs) out, you know, tread lightly. 
but you know, <laughs> at least with your main support, you know, if it's your best friend, your husband, your wife, you, you know, I, I don't know that I'd go to my, my son, but you know, the, the certain very, you know, if you do have a loving family member, whatever that, you know, like my godmother and a cousin of mine, who's pretty much a brother to me, um, you know, have been tremendously supportive. Like I know, I don't even have to say anything. I can call my best friend and just, I would call her. I remember once I just was crying. I couldn't even say words. My heart was aching so bad. And she just sat there silently, you know, and listened. And that's all I needed. It was probably 10, 15 minutes. I don't need somebody preaching to me. I don't need somebody getting upset that I'm irritable or, you know, there were days that there were a few days I just couldn't even get out of, I just didn't want to. Yeah. I just didn't want to, or you get in the shower and you let the water run on you and you can't even stand up. You just sit down and let the water run on you because you just can't, but it's okay because that is your body going through the healing process and it's your mind going through it. But it's something that's, you know, you, you take on and, and it's like grabbing the bullet, the horns that you can get through it. There's another side and, and it's much better on the other side. Does that mean you're a hundred percent? It can be whatever percent better that you want it to be, but every little bit better that you feel, you're going to feel more motivated to get that little bit more better and you'll get there eventually to where you can have, you know, hopefully the healthy relationships with, with people and, and at least deal with your own feelings about it. I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing was forgiving myself for, holding on to that dream for so long and to- yeah. holding on to that pain for so long. Yeah. Um, I wished I would have, you know, healed or made the choice to heal sooner, but, but it doesn't matter when, when you're ready, you do it. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. <clears throat> when it came to, um, I know you said that your ex-husband was a narcissist. Yes. Did that, um, did that bring back childhood memories for you? Yeah, very much so. Um, I didn't realize it until maybe a year or so into that relationship that he was just like my stepfather. My stepfather, though, they were two different types of narcissists, though. And I, I mean, I've heard various numbers of types of narcissists, but my stepfather was the very over, you know, the arrogant, I know everything, I'm the best, nobody else can touch me, very showy, you know, had to have the best and the newest and, you know, that kind. My ex, I didn't see it coming because he was a covert narcissist. He's more like, I call it like, I call it the Eeyore complex, that character from Winnie the Pooh Eeyore, who has always got his shoulder slumped and poor me, nothing good ever happens yeah. to me. Yeah. So here's me thinking, you know, I don't coming from the childhood I came from, I don't like to see anybody feeling down like that, you know? So I was always like the positive, like, no, you can, let's make it happen. And then I would try to do whatever I could to make him happy. And then the next thing I knew, I didn't even realize I was basically being primed for servitude towards him, you know, to be his resource for anything and everything he did want, because if he wasn't happy, then by God, nobody was happy. Um, But unfortunately, it was a different kind of abuse. That's where the narcissism 
comes in a little differently with him than it did with my stepfather, because can I say he ever put his hands on me? No. Did he punch and and swing things at me and throw things at me? Yes. Um, Just never made contact. And I don't know if I was just lucky or if he was just trying to scare me. I think he was just trying to scare me into submission, but you know, it's still, you have that same fear when a a crowbar is being swung down at your head or a gun shot off outside your bedroom after screaming and yelling at you, all kinds of things. Yeah. It's a little scary. You know, did I have a gunshot wound? No. Did I have a crack in my skull? Am I dead because of him swinging a crowbar? No, but it's still bad enough that somebody would intentionally do those things to make you think they're going to harm you if you open your mouth or if you say this or do that or look at them a certain way or don't do that exactly how they want it. You know, it's a method of control. And and that's the thing about both situations and narcissists. They are trying to control you to serve whatever purpose it is that they they find you useful for. Um, So, yeah, it, it was it was definitely different. Um but I didn't see it. And I don't even think I had the verbiage for it to know what was going on. Um, But I think that my childhood, if I had been raised, you know, in a healthier environment, there's no way I would have tolerated um, the things that I saw very, very early on in my relationship with my ex. But unfortunately, I, I saw my mother in my childhood make excuses or turn and look the other way. And I found myself doing the same thing with my ex-husband. It was, he had a bad day. Oh, he must've just woken up on the wrong side of the bed or it'll blow over because with narcissists, there's a push and pull, at least in a romantic relationship. That's what's different than the stepfather in a romantic relationship. They know when they're, you're kind of on to them or they're losing you a little bit. And then that's when the grand, you know, overtures and and the romantic stuff comes in and suddenly they love you and it's you two against the world and nobody will ever, you know, be for them except for you. And and they'll never love anybody as much as they love you or you love them. And, and they, they create this fantasy and you're talking about a little girl that didn't even have two parents that loved her. Yeah, I I wanted that. So I found myself tolerating the bull between the happy stuff and and excusing it because I knew the good stuff would come if I if I behaved if I was a good girl and I mean sometimes he would actually call me a good girl when when I did things that pleased him yeah <laughs> so how has um how has your childhood shaped shaped your parenting style total opposite <laughs> yeah. um I actually, because of my childhood, you know, there's that idea out there, that cliche that you turn into your parents or into one of your parents. So honestly, by the time I was a teenager, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm ever having children ever, ever, ever. (laughs) Not because I didn't, I, I was never one of those little girls either though, that wanted like 10 kids and all that stuff. But I was just like, there is no way if there is any possibility of me falling into any kind of a pattern 
that was anywhere near my mother or stepfather. There was no way in hell I was going to do that to another human being. I did never wanted another human being to feel one tiny bit of what I had felt in my heart my whole life ever, ever. So I was just like, I'm just not having kids. I'm just not going to have kids. But then I get married and everyone else gets married. Then everyone else starts having baby showers and they're having their babies and the darn things are so cute and their little toes and they smell funny (laughs) and all that. And, you know, I started getting that itch, but my ex was like, nope, we're not having kids. We're not having kids. We're not going to bring a kid into this world and, and all this and that. But then, you know, I was able to convince him because I had this idea in my head that, well, our relationship isn't that great. And I haven't really had love in my life, but if I had a baby, because I, I, I did see other people, even with friends and, and, and family members that had very loving relationships with their mothers. So I thought, but if I can convince him to have a baby, if I have a baby, that baby's going to love me and I'm going to love that baby. Like it's going to be like the king of my universe. Like, you know, that's my baby. I will love it. Like no mother ever loved their baby. Um, and, and that kid's going to love me just the same. So, um, we had a son. And, um, (laughs) it, it, yeah, my son was my life and and that didn't make anything better with my ex because, you know, being a narcissist, he wanted all my attention and now I was giving a baby attention and that was taking away from him. So he resented me and the baby, uh, and there was all kinds of stuff that happened with that. But, um, my parenting style has been very, Let's put, I, I've been described as this. I, I coached cross country at for nine years at my son's grade school. And I remember one little girl telling a new member of our cross country team, she said, oh, coach Dane is the best. She's lots of fun. You'll always be laughing and she gives you hugs and we get Aww. ice cream. But she says, if she gets serious, listen, but she says, it's okay. She doesn't get serious that often. Only if it's really, really important but you need to listen. And that's kind of the way that I was with my son. Like I never nagged him. I didn't, you know, homework, dude, once he was old enough, like fourth, fifth grade, I'm like, you know what you got to do. I'm not going to be looking to see what you got to do and hovering over you and asking you 20 times before bed, if it's done, if you don't want to do it, you're the one that's got to face your teacher. Have fun with that. You want to go out in 30 degrees without a coat and you're going to wear shorts. going to be cold, but have fun with it. Don't call me to come bring pants to you at school. Like, you know, that was kind of my parenting style, but I loved that kid no matter what. And to this day, he's 20 years old now. Uh, He actually just closed on his first house on Friday and, you know, texted me yesterday, mom, what do you need? (laughs) Because he knows, he knows you know, whatever he needs. He just wanted me to come clean his bathroom. Well, he's 20 years old and he's a boy. Yeah. Mom will come clean your bathroom. You know, it's all good. I, I, I baked him some stuff today that I know he likes. It's just, I want him to know. And, and I know he knows because of the way the divorce went down with his dad, you know, at the end of the day, he knows I'm the consistent parent. I am the stable parent He knows that I truly love him unconditionally and that I will never judge him for how he feels or shame him for anything he does. You know, since the time he was little, I've told him, 
Just always be honest with me. Don't ever lie to me or to anybody because no matter what you have done, no matter what kind of trouble you ever get into, I cannot help you if if I don't know the truth. But I was like, you know, you want to play the video games or watch movies with the bad language? People would say, oh, how do you let him do that? Because I instilled morals and values. He's not going to go on the street and shoot somebody because he played Grand Theft Auto. He's not going to go talk that way to, you know, a senior citizen who's yeah. he's trying to help at the grocery store to push her cart. He's he I know everybody's proud of their children, but I just want him to be a good human being and know he's loved. So that's my parenting style. And I I never, like I said, my kid, anybody's kid, if I see in somebody else, even a grown adult, like, you know, knowing that you went through some stuff, I just want you to know you, I believe you, I validate you, I get it, and I love you. I mean, if people could say I hate you and act hateful in this world, you could say I love you and love everybody too. And I will give everybody a hug when I see them because that's sometimes the only thing you have to give somebody. You You just have to be kind to other people. Absolutely. And you know what? It can be hard to do sometimes, but you know what? It's so worth it. Um, Like you said, like you just described your parenting style. That's a lot like the one that I put into play with my son. Um, Because like you said, a lot of days, and I just don't want other, especially my own child to feel how I felt growing up, you know, especially if he doesn't have to. Um, So I got two more questions for you. Sure. So how have you taken your pain and turned it into a passion? What do you do now? Well, I actually wrote a book. It is published. It's called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse um, with my pen name, which is Dana S. Diaz. Um, That's actually my birth name, Diaz. Um, And it discusses the relationship I had with my ex-husband and kind of describes narcissism on an everyday level and what people don't see and how it can actually manifest um, into physical illness and, um, you know, the, the physical suffering I, I, that I have as a result of the relationship with him. Um, but I also am in the process, um, of publishing the second book, which is about my childhood. Um, so we'll delve deeper into that. And then I am currently almost through writing the third book, which is about, it's kind of the sequel to the book that's out now gasping for air, which talks about, the narcissist um, that was a former friend of mine that happens to be related to my current husband um, and all the things we're dealing with there. But, you know, it's, we can say narcissism. um, It's a word that's used very loosely, but bullying, abuse, they all fall into the same category as in my experience. And, you know, my mission is just to, you know, as idealistic as it sounds, just to hopefully motivate some people to think about how they treat others, to just be kinder to other people. Um, I don't think I'm going to change a- an abusive parent into one that's not. If if something I say affects somebody in that way, then, you know, thank God. But um, I definitely want to be, I, I, I call myself the voice for victims of abuse because the thing is most of us are silenced or if we're in the situation, we're not able to speak without consequences. We're not able to get help. Um, and I've been very fortunate that my book has, you know, it's only been out for a little over a month, but it's reached 
um, not just victims who have, you know, expressed to me how much they relate to the the really raw truth um, and the perspective that I bring, but it's helping uh, mental health professionals and counselors and even, you know, attorneys that deal with victims of abuse um, to kind of see things from the perspective of the victims, because fortunately, not everybody has been traumatized in their life, but it's hard for them to really rely on the, you know, the people that they're trying to help because those people sometimes are still in the situation and and they're still trying to deal with it. And so their mind is kind of clouded with their pain and their heartache and, and the trauma that they don't have this other perspective that fortunately I'm willing, you know, I, I can give verbiage to and, and make it something that people can understand, you know, on, on the deep level that it goes. So, um, so that is what I'm doing now. I'm just trying to turn lemons into lemonade and, you know, I've seen my life turn around and I'm just hoping that if others can see there's another side and that they still can have a beautiful life, no matter what has happened, you don't have to live in that, in the shadow of all of that. You can, you can move out, you know, there's sunshine and rainbows on the other side of it for sure. Absolutely. So where can we find this book at? Um, you can go on Amazon. Um, that's everyone's go-to. I think we're all on Amazon every day. Um, Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Or you can go to my website, danasdiaz.com. And Diaz is spelled D-I-A-Z. Um, my book is on there. I have a blog, um, all the podcasts that I've um, had the honor of uh, being a guest on, including yours, are also going to be uh, published on there. So um, I encourage everyone to go and even reach out to me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And I do actually, I personally respond to every message I get. Um, and I hope to continue to be able to do that, whether you just want to tell me that something I said or or wrote touched you in a certain way, or if you're in a situation that I can give you some resource to help you, whatever it is, um, just know you don't have to you know, live the way you live. There, There is another option if and when you're ready to safely um, pursue that. And there are people that are willing to help you. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. One last question. Is your, all your um, social media handles Dana S. Diaz? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, just in case anybody wants to work with you outside of this. Um, so once again, thank you so much. Once again, thank you so much for this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being courageous enough to share your story, um, you know, to help other people um, and for telling your truth. I appreciate that. You as well. Thank you so much. No problem. Well, thank you guys again, once again, for joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast. Please head over to www.greatergrowthllc.com, support the t-shirt and hoodie store, and also to Amazon to purchase a copy of Back in My Day by Asia Wilson. And until next time.